really interesting uh, things. And actually, I was I thought we we're gonna we we're gonna end the series last Sunday, and then it all changed because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sort of gives you another instruction every once in a while. So this uh, so this particular one is called Child of God, and it was inspired. Uh, by uh, John McClellan over here. We were having a rehearsal for the band. Can we, can we give a, the band a hand for the work they do? So, uh, yes, I mean, it's a huge deal. That there's, there's so much investment goes into this. Can we give a hand to the tech team that does the sound here? Uh, they're sitting in the back over here. And can we give a hand to these two lovely ladies over here who are, who are running the slides for us? So... <laughs> uh, it's really fascinating how, how many moving parts there are to doing this, right? Uh, and it was, uh, I had this, uh, I've been doing music my whole life, right? And, um, and I think it was last Sunday or the Sunday before, I was talking to Andre over here. And Andre was like, hey, I was, like, I was saying, can we like, something with the sound, can we sort of tweak this or tweak that? And I was asking those questions, of course. It feels, I'm like, it feels different from where uh, I think it was the week after we, we did the other room, right? The other, uh, the other building. So we're back here, and he goes, I, "I'm like, it feels different." He goes, "Christian, do you know how many things influence the sound in the room?" I said, "Yeah, I think I do." You know, a musician. I've been music, doing music for 25 years, right? More. Um, and he goes, "If this speaker moves a little bit to the right, a little bit to the right, everything changes." I'll go, really? He goes, yeah. If, if one of the instruments is not in the same exact position, everything changes. He goes, if the weather changes and the walls are colder, everything changes. And I'm just sitting there going, thank you, Andrew. Thank you for serving us. You know, like, I will shut up now, right? Um, uh, but anyway, it's so beautiful to see how the community comes together and does all this work. Anyway, this is a little bit of a tangent, uh, an expression of gratitude. But uh, we're, we're doing this... Um, we're rehearsing at the Fithian's house, and we're, you know, graciously, you know, they kick us out at a certain hour, but until then, they're very gracious. And uh, so we're rehearsing, and John McClellan, at the end, he goes, hey, I wrote this song called Child of God. You want to hear it? So we hear it, and I was actually sort of thinking, should we end the series, or the, I feel like there's something else to be said, I don't know what it is. And I was like, this is it, this is the thing, right? So he's going to sing the song after, uh, for a communion, where we, where we take the Lord's Supper. But we're going to do another panel of, uh, panel of experts. Uh, it's going to be an amazing one. And prepare your hearts. It's going to be fantastic. But I want to sort of introduce it, prime this thing with a scripture. In John 1, verses 9 to 13, my favorite chapter in the whole Bible, it says this, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This was Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to see, he came to what which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, and listen to this, this is the whole anchor for this. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is it, guys. I was reading, um, I've been into this new, this uh, author, um, so he's a social scientist, but he's also Christian. His name is Arthur Brooks. And he, he teaches happiness at Harvard. It's really fascinating. He teaches human flourishing. 
right? And so he's a student of that, and I've been a student of that my whole life. I like I've always been sort of fascinated by the what 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 makes us live a full life, right? And he said something interesting. He said, you know, the base we all have a baseline from which we start of how we see the world. And 50% of our baseline or our mood, the way we see the world, is our parents. 50%. And he's a scientist. He's like, There's th- the, uh, the, the science of, of, flour- of human flourishing, the science of happiness, has evolved in the last 30 years, exploded um, into an actual discipline. Because it used to be like this fluffy thing. How can you measure this? How can you quantify this? Turns out there are ways to quantify things, right? And he basically says 50% of how you see the world, if, for say, you're, if, you, if your parents, he says, were um, sort of sad or moody, that's, your baseline is there. That's how you start. Right? So it's almost like a lens you have that you can do something about it, but you start in a different place. So if your parents were joyful, you'll be more joyful. Like, period. You, your starting place is more joyful. If, you, if you, your parents are more sad, you're going to be more sad as a baseline. 25% is sort of your current circumstances. For example, you don't feel well or you have some financial troubles, whatever, right? Those are fleeting. Those, those are moving around, right? Your, con- your context will change over time. And then the other, the remaining 25% is what you can manage dynamically in the now, right? How you, like how you spend your morning, for example. That's why a quiet time is so important. Aligning your, your thinking with, with truth, not with mood, right? So today, we're gonna unpack that. It's gonna be crazy, it's gonna be amazing, right? Um, because basically what, what we're talking about here is that there, we have this inescapable gravity of origin story. All of us do. All of us have this baseline. You have a baseline, I have a baseline, right? My baseline, uh, and, and a lot of it is defined by a father specifically. And there's, there's, a, there's a mystic dimension to that that's really remarkable. Specifically our fathers. So my dad, for example, I have this, um, the best way I can describe without going into too many details because we have a great panel coming, coming down in a second, is that my, my baseline, my father, was, um, is, uh, my experience with my father was, was fragmented. That's probably the best way I can describe it, right? Because part of it is super positive. He was present, he was my hero, he was strong. We spent a lot of time together. Um, I just loved him to death. And then he was gone because he, and there was betrayal involved and, and, and adultery. And then there was a divorce and I was 14 years old and he was not there. And part of my sadness in my baseline is that in the most crucial moments as, as I was becoming a man, he was not there to direct me, to correct me, to console me, to advise me. He was just not that. So there's this fragmented picture, the baseline of my father. As a matter of fact, it stays with you. It's so profound. Uh, my mommy here is here. She's, she's sitting up there. Um, and even last night, sort of the, our conversation gravitated towards what happened. It's been 30 years. And that baseline still affects our lives and how we see the world. Does that make sense? Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to ask my, our esteemed panel to come down. So we have Marcus, the awesome Mark Samalaja. We have the amazing Jamin coming up here. Can we say hi to Jamin? We have Nicole. And we have Jordan Gant. Jordan is, is wobbling down in her shoe after her surgery. Um, 
And we have John McClellan, of course, the inspiration behind it all. There you go. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, so can we say hi to everybody? What's up? All right. All right. So these guys, um, the reason I asked you guys down is because this is not going to be like this pity fest, right? It's not the point. The point is this is a range of experiences, a spectrum. And the idea is that we can all learn from each other's ways how we, how we the baseline that we had, how we handled it, and the good news of Jesus. Because that the anchor of this, of this story is that because, regardless of the baseline, we have this opportunity. This unique, winning the lottery opportunity to become children of God. And that redefines our baseline completely and utterly. Now, it's still a journey to actually allow God to do that in your life. And that's essentially what we're going to be unpacking today. So what I want to start with is this. Give us your baseline. I give you my baseline. What's your baseline? Like in, in a, just a few words, what, what, was your, what was your experience of your father specifically? Go, Nicole. All right. Um, well, uh, my baseline was... I, um, I, I, some of you know this, but I was conceived through date rape, so I wasn't really wanted. Um, and then I had a stepfather from when I was three to 15 who was abusive. So that was my baseline. Okay, we start there. Boom. Boom. <laughs> uh, my, my baseline is, uh, I had a dad I loved. He was awesome. He was, he was there for me, but he wasn't there for me. Emotionally detached. He was an artist. After dinner, he would go into his garage where he had all his art set up, and that's what he would do every night. Had not much of a relationship. It wasn't until I got older that I think I learned to appreciate him more, and then we had more of a relationship. But early on, my baseline, distant. I know he's there. I know he's love he loves me, but it was more intellectual than, there was, than an actual connection. Hi, uh, my name is Jamin, and my baseline is, uh, it's, how do I say this simply, but I actually never seen my biological father um, ever in person, but my adoptive dad, I was kind of adopted into a couple weeks after I was born, he wasn't there for me emotionally, but he was there for me in every other way the worldly father seen, right, provide and uh, be at your kids like soccer game, that sort of way, but... Um, Emotionally, he wasn't like discussing how I'm feeling. In fact, he would kind of tell me to kind of shut that stuff down. Um, mm. And uh, and he actually passed away by the time I became 19. Sorry. Um. You'll turn it on. <laughs> Hello. This one's on. <laughs> uh, uh, so Ooh, my baseline is that. Um, uh, my dad immigrated from Nigeria um, when he was um, 43. We thought he was 33. He was actually 43. Um, so he immigrated from Nigeria when he was 43 um, and married my mom and raised us kind of in this pseudo-African slash American way. Um, so, Post-African? Yeah. <laughs> Neo-African. Neo-African. Um, 
So I, I like the word that you used. For me, it was very fragmented because um, my dad was trying to um, kind of figure out how to raise us in America, but also with African values. So I, it was a very strict, non-emotional household, um, very regimented, very spiritual. Um, and I often remember seeing my dad praying at night, waking up in the morning to pray at 6 o'clock. Um, but we didn't have, kind of as some people mentioned, a very emotional connection. Mm -hmm. um, and then my parents got divorced when I was 13. Um, so that fragmentation just really turned into more of a split and a chasm. Mm -hmm. so we'll, we'll start there. I think, yeah, this one works. Um, my baseline is um, my parents, from everything I know, had an amazing marriage, loved each other deeply. Um, right soon after they got married, my dad had a um, seizure in the middle of the night and went to the hospital and was uh, had a stage four brain cancer. Um, I think they were like 28, 29, um, and was given six months to live. They had no kids. Um, they were living in New York and kind of prayed the prayer of Hezekiah for 15 years to live um, and ended up living that long, had three kids after that. Um, my mom also had health stuff that was supposed to be hard to get pregnant, so it was a very sign from God. So grew up at least my first six years, very idyllic, great family. My dad um, was in remission and they were leading a church in New York, um, very, very close family. And then... When I was about four, his cancer came back, and it was pretty strong the last two years, and he passed away like a week after my sixth birthday. Um, so then I'm the youngest of two older brothers, so then they, in a sense, kind of felt, I've learned a lot from talking to them as we're adults, like they took on the father role as they felt, but they're you know high schoolers. Um, so great, really great relationship, but I feel like my baseline is more stories and what I hear about him than actually mm. having known him. So, yeah. So you can imagine why I asked these people to come down, right? Um, and what I want to ask you to do is, this, is do this. Where do you fit in? What's your baseline, right? And then what can you learn from our collective experience here and then in community as well? Um, so the, the fascinating thing that Jesus does when he enters history and enters humanity in our life is that he, it seems that he's asking us to rewire our baseline, our expectation, uh, sort of adjust our, our view of the world. Um, and I find it to be probably one of the most just life-changing experiences of my life. I was talking to my mom about it last night is that you know, she, she told me, you know, I'm, I think I'm, I'm making her, her bed in, in the guest room. And she goes, you know, Christian, I never thought you turned out to be a, such a good husband. I'm like, thanks, you know. And, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, but she was saying it in a nice way, not in a passive-aggressive way, right? Uh, but she knew me she, when I was younger, right? And, the, and I said, you know, Mom, only because of Jesus. It's the rewiring. Like, I was just rewired at a certain point. And I accepted the rewiring, and I think which is the which is I think the key here, right? And Jesus in Matthew seven, he's he in verses nine to eleven, he says this. He's trying to rewire. I think it feels like he's like change your baseline. You're in a new world. You're you're a child of God, and he says this. For example, which of you, if your son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, compared, right? Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts to those who ask him? So he's basically saying, you have to retrain your brain. You have to retrain how you see the world. And I think it's really important. First of all, it's important for us to flourish, to, re, to rewire the baseline. But also, those of us who are parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, do you want to pass along the baseline? Whatever. Or do you want to pass along a healthy baseline, the Jesus baseline, to your children? And that's a motivator for me, for example. Like, I was like, you know what? My, my, my family has at least two generations of broken homes. Three with me. It ends with me. It ends with me. How was that for you? How was, how was your experience on, on, on a practical level of entering this world of Jesus and beginning to rewire your baseline? I guess I'll start. Um, <laughs> uh, for me, I had a... I had a a lot of rewiring needs, <laughs> so, um, but I was also the type of person that tried to figure things out. So I really got into psychology in high school and just trying to figure things out and um, took, took as many steps as I could in my own processing. And I think, uh, you know, I, I stepped into a relationship with God when I was about 19 years old and um, I feel like for me, that first year especially, he really demonstrated to me uh, his faithfulness in that process without even understanding that I was in that process. So it, mine had to do uh, with forgiveness, really. And what I couldn't, what I couldn't change myself, and I love how, how even you started this out with a statistic, right? Because God is, he just blows statistics out of the water. Mm -hmm. you know? He does. And, um, and so for me, that journey with him, you know, that first year, he was able to transform my heart in ways that I couldn't produce, I couldn't make happen. Mm -hmm. like just you couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, even when I went through the steps and it was like, okay, now what? Because change isn't happening in my heart, you know? But, you know, having that relationship with him and being open to what he wanted to show me because it's a journey, right? I, I, right away, it was a journey of, of conversation and being open to um, seeing things differently in a way that he wanted me to see them. And I think that that really began the transformation process in my life where um, bit by bit, he started showing me things differently. Like I was able to start seeing people differently, life differently. So what you're saying is mm -hmm. from the inside out, inside. supernaturally, yes. beyond your ability. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's transformation. Mm -hmm. I think we as human beings can figure things out, and we're quite capable because we're his creation, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a point where, where we have to let go of our, of our ability, and it really has to be a, a relational conversation. And, um, and I think, because he speaks. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. he speaks, he shows us things, he tells us things, he... He's faithful to show us our own weaknesses so that when they're exposed, it's not like we just sit there and condemn ourselves for them. But he, he takes our hand and, and draws us into 
different places of truth, where, where it's like kind of alignment of this is his truth, and this was my truth before. Mm -hmm. So it's being, being willing to see that as well. And then always being in that growth yeah. mode. You know. Continuously, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'll share. Um, you know, this, this question in this verse was, is, is interesting and challenging for me because of uh, that idea of uh, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. Um, and I think just considering my baseline, I didn't grow up with the concept of asking um, for anything. Mm. Um, I think our, my dad and the family I grew up in was very independence driven and very, he came here with nothing and had to pull himself up from his bootstraps. And so if there's anything that he passed on to me, it was that nature of you can do this, the world's gonna be against you, but you can still triumph and overcome. Um, and he was still busy doing that as we were children. So there wasn't a lot of time to do the parenting part. He was still busy trying to overcome, trying to build something. Right. He was focused on, on doing that, on, on lifting himself. Right? Lifting himself up. Um, and the message that we received as kids was, you guys got to go out and make it happen mm -hmm. for yourself. And so this idea of like, oh, I can turn to my family or I can turn to my father for advice, especially after my parents got divorced, that was non-existent. So I think even when I was introduced to, to the kingdom and to God, the thing that I wrestled with the most was that, was that last part. Like, you can ask him mm -hmm. and he will give you stuff. I'm more of the mindset, just how I grew up. I'll do it, I'll start on a path, and then I'll confirm with God if this is, if yeah. this is right. But the um, cool thing about your experience is that what he was teaching you about lifting yourself up and take responsibility, that's a gift. Mm -hmm. And you were, I think, if I may say, from, from my perspective, a very accomplished man, partially because of that. Yes. And yet he was missing that dimension that the Father in Heaven also provides. Just ask. Right? And I would say, coming into the kingdom, like, that's been the blessing, that added dimension. Um, because life gets a lot easier when you just ask. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what I realized. So you talk about, like, being accomplished. Like that's, you know, in part to that, that, that work ethic that I got from my parents and from my father. Um, but it's in part even more to the idea that, oh, like God is walking with me and he does even more want to bless us. If we just, we go to him and we reach out to him and we ask him for his help and his guidance. So let me ask you, how did you go from, I can't ask to, I can ask, what's the, so for what's me, the practical part of that? Because I think many of us here don't ask enough. For whatever reason, we don't ask. And what Jesus seems to be saying is, please ask. <laughs> right? Like, clearly that's what he's saying, right? Yeah, I, having men in my life that showed me that that was okay. Mm. And not only that that was okay, but that that was the way to live. And that frankly, I was just missing out by doing anything less. So I was the person who would tell a guy, hey, I got a job interview coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, cool, good, good luck. That's what I expected. But they, instead, they were like, hey, are you ready? Do you, are you prepared? Yeah, I think I'm prepared. I need to figure out a suit. Do you have a suit? No. Do you have money for a suit? No. Do you have a plan? No, but I'll figure it out. I'm just informing you. I'm just letting you know. Ah. I'm gonna pull my, 
And they're like, that's crazy. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, do you need help getting a suit? No. Do you have money? No. No. Do you have a plan? Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Okay, come to my house. Yeah. We're the same size. Come into my closet. Pick a suit to wear. That's what you're going to wear to your interview. So my very first job interview, wow. I'm sitting there in a suit that doesn't belong to me. Mm. And I get the job, and I'm thinking to myself, like, how, how much stress was relieved? Mm. How much, and now other people are praying for me, they're involved, they know what's going on. And that, like, blew my mind. Like, that was so much easier than trying to figure it out myself. Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. I can, you know, to piggyback on the whole uh, asking things. So because my dad was so detached, we didn't grow up with, with money. So um, we had, my, my parents both worked, so my dad worked. He worked effectively two jobs. My mom uh, worked in a bank, but she also was a professional singer. So they were gone. I was a latchkey kid in the 80s. Mm, and, classic, uh, classic. So, so, you know, we would, we would get home and there'd be no one there. And uh, they'd come home later on, six or seven o'clock. We'd have to get ourselves ready for, for school. And I learned um, to be very self-reliant. So I didn't ask people for anything. I'll figure it out myself. Um, I remember I taught myself how to ride a bike. I taught myself how to swim. I taught myself, it, it, it sounds ridiculous, but I, I, I taught myself how to tie my own shoelaces. Mm. And if you watch me tie my shoelaces... This is before YouTube. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you watch me tie my shoelaces, I literally do my shoelaces like a five-year-old kid. I make the big old loops and I... <laughs> because that's how I learned. Because I, I, everything that's was fantastic. learning. I, I learned through books. I learned through uh, lots of books. Um, learned through experiences. But I didn't ask for help. And to this day, I still struggle with that. I do everything on my own. But at this stage of the game in my life, I recognize that while that's laudable, while it's a good thing to have that kind of competence to be able to do things on your own, it's not always the most healthy thing spiritually or emotionally. Uh, we need relationships. Uh, I mean, I, again, to, to, to lift Marcus up, so I, we, my wife and I just moved here two months ago, and uh, uh, Marcus comes up to me, I, I, first time I'm here, and he's like, hey man, you're new, and, and, and he said, hey, I want you to meet some people. He introduced me to people, he said that he's got this friend uh, that, uh, that is a little shy, and he's about your age, he's an older guy, and uh, I think you guys would hit it off, and, and he set up this time, Come on, Marcus. And, and, and he's just a great matchmaker, but, but what I appreciate that, about that is that I am of the mindset, yeah, you know what, I'll find friends, I'll, I'll make friends, I'm a personable dude, um, I'll make friends, but he really helped move that along, and I wouldn't have asked for that help uh, unless he just did it, just like with the guy with the suit, you're going to come to my house and you're going to try on the suit. So I think that to, to kind of boil everything down, I've learned that I cannot rely on my own skills, my own talent, my mind, whatever. I need people in my life. It, it, I do much better. Yep, yeah. So if you're not an asking person, start asking. Uh, and honestly, if you're new here and you, it's, this is a bit odd to see that kind of dynamic, right? Start. I promise you, it, you get comfortable real quick. Just practice. Hey. You know, I need some help with this. Like, 
I promise you, in this community, people were actually weren't going to help. It's crazy, right? Uh, all right, so let's move on. We have like several things to cover. Um, one of the things that I, I wouldn't call it a hard, but a stricter, almost like this restrictive dimension of what Jesus is trying to present about the Father in heaven is this concept of lordship, allegiance, obedience um, that is very not new age, okay? Like, this is not, this is not like, the previous verse is like, just ask, uh, and your father never will get, which is, which is huge. But there's a dimension, there's an angle, there's a dimension of, of the relationship that we, with the Father in heaven, if you're a child of God, that is about allegiance. It's about submission, right? I'll read the scripture, and uh, you can interpret it you, the way, maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but you can interpret it your way. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, it says here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the, ones who does the, who, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's a very specific verse. You know, he basically says, only the one who does the will of my Father. There's an allegiance, alignment, dimension to a relationship if you're a child of God. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Like, it's sort of this... Like, there's many, there's many people who will claim the child of God's status, right? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Like, that's not a fun scripture, okay? It's not a fun scripture. It's, 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 it's an exceptionalist scripture. Like, you will be an exception if you align yourself with God. There's an allegiance dimension to it. So how does this obedience factor into your experience with the child of God? And what are some of the struggles to overcome it that you've sort of, I mean, it's a double question, right? How does it play out? What are some of the struggles with that? Yeah, I can with start. Um, I feel like I have so many dimensions in my head. I'm trying to think. I think one of the things that was difficult for me in growing up um, with a father that was more of like talked about than known, obviously, since he passed away, is I always just heard all the amazing stories and everything good. Um, and... It was this weird thing where I feel like everyone, not put him on a pedestal because I think he was amazing, but like I never saw, I don't know, like any fault or I never saw real life, right? So I had this like crazy expectation of perfection because all I heard about my parents and my dad was that they were perfect and they did everything right and people were obsessed with them and they made tons of Christians. And um, so obedience to me was like a I felt this pressure to be perfect and forced obedience in a sense. Um, and then also going through like being the youngest and I'm the only girl, I felt this pressure to be like the perfect child because my brothers were dealing, they were older, so they were like mourning my dad. And I was just always told I was like the happy one and I was the saving grace in the family because they could look at me and I was joyful. And so I was like, okay, shoot. So I always have to be the joyful and perfect one and mom doesn't have to worry about me. So, mm. um, mm. And so I felt this sense of, like, God expects perfection from me, especially because of who my dad was. Like, I'm expected to be this perfect Christian because of church politics, of who my last name is and the churches he started. So I had this really weird relationship with God where, like, I had this fear of obedience. And I felt it so strongly of, like, I wanted to be obedient, but I felt no grace in my life, and I didn't know how to wrestle with that. Um, and so it wasn't genuine obedience, because it was like, I felt like I had to earn God's love, and I had to like 
remain this perfect child and adult. So um, I've talked to you and Deb about this. I feel like until I really moved here, my whole life I realized I was really motivated by like fear and perfection. And I'm a type A personality, so it all just fits in that awful box. Um, and then I had this mindset like shift that was seemed so simple, but it was so critical to me of like God, like this balance of, I don't know, being motivated by God's grace and his love. And that drives me towards obedience because I feel so loved and that I can mess up and he still loves me. So then I want to totally pledge my life to him and it's genuine and authentic. And then he loves me and it's this full circle. So kind of different than the scripture, but I feel like looking at how I grew up, it just helped me shift my mind towards obedience to God of like, because how deeply he loves me and not that I didn't feel loved growing up. I just felt so much pressure. Um, And then it's more genuine. And then I want to really pledge my entire life and every aspect to God. And when I fall short, I'm not crippled by it anymore. So here's a lesson for you, for you all about needing a father in heaven for your children. Basically, if you are an amazing parent, if you change the world and then you die of cancer, which means no one can see your faults, you can still mess up your kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Right? Seriously, yeah. We all need Jesus because yeah, of that, right? Really, yeah. And my point is actually, that's how, partially like you are speaking, like you're channeling my kids right now. And although I'm not dead, uh, which means they can see some faults, right? Obviously. But they, I know... And I, like, I don't know how to overcome that. Maybe I can ask you. Like, maybe you can have a therapy session with me. Love it. Uh, I know that part of their, of their journey is living up to this guy who's a great husband, friend, the things that I've done, right? Yeah. Um, and the thing, and I'm like, and I am, right? But I, I was not, I am. I am. I am. I'm a great husband. But that... To my point, to my mom's point, I've been around for a long time. I was not that. And they don't remember any of that. They remember me as I am now. So now, and the thing is, Satan is alive. You're the best role model for your kids. Satan's going to mess with that. He's going to come in and he's going to say, you're never going to be like your mom. You're never going to be like your dad. You can't live up to this. And that's Satan. That's the enemy. So you can be a, the best parent in the world and you, you, your kids still need a father in heaven. That's the, sort of the point, right? Any other? Yeah, I... Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, so if out there in the world, before someone asks themselves, does my allegiance lie here? They, I believe they first need to answer the question, do I belong here? Um, and that's a question that I had trouble answering for a long time. Um, And to kind of provide more context to my baseline, I was born and raised in South Korea for the first nine years of my life. And um, uh, needless to say, I didn't really fit in well. Um, (laughs) What do you mean by that exactly? I mean... Just say it, just spell it out, because people might not be... In the United States, you know, it's a melting pot of people. There's different colors of race here and there, but... In Korea, it's Koreans, you know? Um, it's, it, you, a lot of I, Koreans I, in Korea. A lot of, <laughs> lot of Koreans in Korea, yeah. And 
when I was, I'm actually half African American and half uh, South Korean, and so when I was born there, I was immediately kind of ostracized as, okay, you're not one of us. Right. Um, and the fact that my parents even adopted me was more of an extreme progressive idea deemed by them. Um, so even my parents were kind of judged upon by other Korean parents. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, I had a lot of, you know, judgments against me um, from, from that angle. So it was hard for me to think, oh, I'm a Korean, uh, to think, oh, I'm a Korean, or where do I, it, it was hard to understand where I exactly belonged. Um, and I don't know if you know the show Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, um, but that was basically my story, but I, not really, but from Korea to yeah, yeah, yeah. uncle and auntie in, uh, not in Bel Air, but in Round Rock. Yeah. Um, doesn't have the same ring to it. Doesn't, doesn't have, but I get it. Yeah, I get the point. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, but because of that upbringing, I was in a lot of fights, and whenever I went to my parents about it, they couldn't, I mean, it's not their fault that they don't know how to handle that conversation, but they didn't handle it in a way handle it in a way where it allowed me to feel, oh, they understand me. I, because of that, my notion in life was nobody understands me. I'm just, I know who I am. I gotta be self-reliant. I gotta figure this out on my own. Um, so cut to, you know, years of being a people pleaser, trying to fit into places, uh, kind of, refreshing my core values to fit with the group that I was trying to be part of. I experienced a lot of heart hurts from going into different groups. Um, and without going into details, I got into a lot of uh, unhealthy communities. Um, got to a point uh, where, uh, you know, I, I found myself when I'm 18, uh, I was waking up every morning in a place that I don't remember where I was at because I was using substances. Uh, I was trying to find myself with a lot of like self-medications and whatnot um, and come to Jesus, right, a moment uh, after, uh, after months of just getting hurt by people. Um, and whenever I first kind of been introduced to the campus ministry. This was this was in college, and when I went to here, not here in, in Austin, right in Tribe. Yeah, here in here in Austin. Yeah, uh, I went to UT Austin, and the campus ministry there. They invited me to a game night. It was so welcoming and it was so warm. Um, whenever I asked myself, "Do I belong here?" I kind of thought, "You know what? Like, I want to belong here. Like, these people are really nice, um, and they didn't like." asked me to do anything to join this. Um, so I immediately felt the belonging there. Then I had to tackle the question, do, does my allegiance lie here? And that took a lot of kind of dissecting of my internal self. Um, and I know I'm kind of going a little bit too long here, but to, to that point where I was trying to answer that question for myself, I was also dealing with the grieving of my uh, dad's passing. 
Um, actually, a few months prior to that, he passed away to liver cancer that he was battling for nine years. And for those nine years, he had to be separated from me. Um, he was, my parents were still in Korea when I moved here, so I had a long-distant long relationship with them. Um, and so I didn't really see my dad as someone um, as someone that understood me to my completeness. Um, but I did see him as a person, you know what, like, you're my dad, and I am grateful that you have taken me in, uh, but you weren't there for me physically. Um, but all that to say, when it comes to God, you know, like the verse that Christian shared in the beginning of this session, um, not of natural born, you know, mm -hmm. You were you know, truly not, adopted. Yeah, into, I, was, I was adopted. He truly adopted me. You were double adopted, basically. I was double adopted, yeah. I was double adopted. Um, and as I'm learning, you know, the gospel and, and the message of the Bible, uh, the verse that rang really true to me was Romans 12.2. And I know we kind of went over that several times throughout the series. But do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve God's will. So whenever I understood that I had to understand his will, and to do so, I have to test and approve it, which means I had to experience it for myself to see if it was true. So um, that's the allegiance. That's the obedience part, right? Yes. Um, so in order to renew your mind, you have to obey. Exactly. Because otherwise you won't be able to see his will even. Right? Yes. Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that was... He stole my line. So, Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that was the point that I was coming to where I had to not conform to the pattern that I was living, having to adjust to the group that I was, felt like I was belonging to and then figuring out if, I, if my allegiance lied there or not. I had to stop doing that with the worldly values, right? Um, but to really renew my mind, just kind of refresh my thinking, whatever philosophy I had, just keeping it open so that the scripture can penetrate um, mm. and kind of instill in the value that God expects us to have. Um, wow. And that's how I understood his will. And Thank still, you. you know, Thank you. That's profound. Thank you. It's yeah. wonderful. So... Let's move to the other sort of side of this same thing, right? There's always two sides to everything. And it's the grace side. Um, in Matthew 5, verses 43 to 45, G Jesus seems to address something that we all sort of wrestle with, which is how to deal with people that are not like you, right? Um, they're raised differently, their culture's different, their political views are different. Um, you know, it seems that every election cycle we have this tension that rises, even within the church. Even within, the, this is a real struggle when you go, how can you vote for this idiot? Like, this is how people feel. I'm not saying that I feel that. Uh, maybe a little bit. Um, but the temptation is there, right? Because we associate, we, we are, we're tribal beings. And we want to sort of, and, and we, our brains simplify things, right? So it's all black and white. Like if you vote this, then uh, how can I be your friend, right, essentially? Or if you think this way, how can you be your friend, you know? Um, but, and yet Jesus basically is telling us, 
if you are associ- if you are a child of God, you will have the heart of God, which is enemy loving heart. Quite literally, enemy loving. Not, hey, let's get together and figure this out. No, I acknowledge that you're my enemy and I will love you because my Father in heaven loves you. So here's what it says. You have heard it says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. What he's referring to is in theological uh, circles, um, there's a term called common grace. There's private grace, and private grace is what we receive specifically individually when we repent of our sins and we declare Jesus and Lord and we receive our private, or have our sins forgiven, right? That is, that's the portal to the kingdom life. That's private grace. Common grace is I'm a pagan, total Gentile, do what I want, don't acknowledge God, which that's what I was for many, many years. And I still have breath in my lungs. This, the sun still shines upon me. I still can view the world and learn something. I can still experience love and affection and, and friendship. That's common grace. And according to Jesus, that is God loving me, even though I'm his enemy. Right? That's just profound stuff. Which basically means if we are, and he specifically says, to be a children of the Father in heaven, you must love your enemy. You can't separate being an adopted son of God from love for an enemy. How does that play out? with all of us here uh, experiencing all kinds of traumas, racism, oppression, whatever. I mean, the range of the human experience. I, I would say that um, I liken it back to, I, I, was in the, I was in the Marine Corps and I remember in Desert Storm uh, we were out there in the middle of the desert, of the Saudi desert, uh, Saudi Arabia at the time, and moved all around. And I remember thinking very specifically, why would anyone want to live here? And, and it got me also <laughs> thinking about just war and this idea of these people dying in countries other than their own. You know, uh, dying on the beach in Normandy or on a mountain in, in, in Okinawa. And, and that is not my home. And I, I think that what helps me accept people for their differences is that I understand that this world is not, this, this is just temporary. I'm, I'm not going to be here for eternity. Mm-hmm. It's just a short stop mm-hmm. along the way. And I could get bogged down on, on issues that I have with people. I could get bogged down with real tragedies and, and sadness and, 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 and grief. I can get bogged down in that, but then I remember, dude, this is not all there is. There's so much more ahead of you. And, and that helps me mm-hmm. to cope with things. That's awesome. How about if you guys had, any of you had, this is, I'm sort of referring back to the baseline. If your father... What I've, what I've noticed, 25 years of ministry in, in my own thing. If my father tends to be passive, which is a bad thing in relationships, you're not engaging in love. 
you tend to be passive. Your father seems to be uh, abusive, you tend to be abusive and angry. Not enemy loving at all. Okay? Any experiences that are along those lines of the baseline? Yes? Well, yes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, connects to what I actually initially shared is, um, I, think, I think when we say enemy, right, that can categorize a bunch of people, and especially those that have wounded us and hurt us. And so um, initially, you know, abusers are seen as enemies, right? And, and my father figure, my stepdad, um, I think in, in relation to my own understanding of wanting to not carry uh, anger and forgiveness, or just, I mean, unforgiveness in my heart because it, in, in, like, it infected me, like there was that awareness I was, I was sharing earlier. But even going through the steps, I couldn't quite, I, I couldn't ever say that I, oh gosh, I felt so much love for him, mm. you know? Mm. And then um, it wasn't until I entered into that relationship with God where I think my heart became soft before him. And then in seeking him and aligning with him, um, he transformed that peace inside of me to where I, w I actually experienced love for him. And there's a lot of, lot of details behind that, but so much so that, that I was able to reach out to him and, and have a conversation with him. And he asked for my forgiveness and like this whole thing. And he went to church with me. And so there was, there was things that happened after that. Um, but I think part of it is I think staying in a place of recognizing, because this was a huge epiphany for me as well, how, how loved we are. Because um, that was another thing that he, it was one of the biggest things in my early 20s that he moved me through was just um, from being unlovable, just existing from a state of feeling unlovable and not, not a consciousness of it, but just uh, walking life out that way. And then moving into the realization of how much he loved me. And that was the new reality and how beloved I am. And then the other layer was when I had uh, kids for the first time experiencing a love that mm. connected me. Like, wow, this, I was just imagining there was just this moment where I was holding my, my, young, my now oldest um, in the middle of the night after feeding him, you know, totally tired and just sitting there. And there was a picture on the wall of Jesus with his, uh, you know, the nail pierced hands, just thinking about how much love I had for my child and how much God loves Jesus and how much God loves us and just that whole processing. But I think forgiveness is much easier and loving your enemies is much easier when we recognize and stay in that place of awareness of how well, loved, loved are. we are and yeah. how forgiven we are and how much grace we receive on a daily basis. So. Which is essentially the point of this scripture. Any quick, quick, like, quick fire advice? Let's say I am experiencing this barrier. Like I, I just don't. I'm not a graceful person. I, I hold grudges. What are some sort of practical things? How do you get there? I'd say listen to Jamie Winship. <laughs> I mean, because he really talks about having um, 
these like truth conversations with God. Sometimes we get into performance mode or a certain way of talking to God and putting our requests out there. Mm-hmm. But it's like the, the reality is here and he knows what's in our hearts. Sometimes we have to be real with like, I am really feeling angry. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really feeling angry with this person and I really don't know how to get, get past it. So mm-hmm. what do you have to say about that? Like, what do you want to tell me in this yeah. moment? And, and with expectation, listening. For me, it was grief recovery. I had this block. Uh, I just couldn't, like, like, I just, I needed a process. Grief recovery helped me. And at the tail end, the back end of grief recovery, I got a chance to sit down with my dad and, and express to him how much I love him, but also what hurt me. And just the, 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 the agony of the divorce and the betrayal and the stuff like that. And he would, when he responds to you, I, I you know, face to face, and he says, look, I'm, I'm so sorry. But also, I'm so messed up, and this is the messy part, right? And he would explain to me. There's like a, like a mount, like a, a weight off my shoulders was lifted. So that was sort of a very practical breakthrough. Um, so I would say that I did grief recovery uh, for my dad as well. But something else that I would go back to, um, when I first became a Christian, one of the first pieces of advice that I got was that Life is going to be hard. It's really hard to live out the things that you're going to read and that you're challenged to do in the Bible. And one of the things that can help you, no matter what situation you're in or what block you have, is serving. And not serving from a performative stance, but just putting yourself in a position to be less than other people Mm. and in doing that. And the person who gave me advice, they pointed to all these examples, the disciples and all these attitudes and different things, but how... When they serve people, things became so much clearer. Um, if you're dealing with uh, bitterness um, and you, you're serving people who have less than you or, or have different situations that are much harder than yours, it helps you. Because yeah. um, I think the real answer to that question is that you can't really be graceful with people unless you see yourself. Yes. Um, and it's, it's a really hard thing to do, to see yourself, um, unless you get a mirror. Yeah. People are mirrors. Like you get around people and all of a sudden you hear, you have, you have a kid, you hear how you are. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's a motivator right there. My, I like to think that I'm a graceful person and um, I'm logical and I like to talk things through. My kid gets in trouble at school, gets into a fight, comes home and, um, where the teachers tell us that he got into a fight and we asked him to apologize and he said no. And we asked him, why won't he apologize? And he said, because my dad said, I don't have to. Dad said, if somebody's, you know, um, you know, wronging you, then you have every right to, um, to pay them back. And this is third grade. And I'm like, I didn't say that. That's not- oh, uh- where, where do you get that from? And he's like, oh, well, dad, you gave me that advice when I was in kindergarten. Oh. Like, Wait, what? That was one, three years ago. But two, like. What was my state of mind when I was talking to him and right. advising him? And, and also kind of like what I know what I think I am. But again, kids are mirrors. People are mirrors. Yeah. Being commu- like, in community, in small group, walking with people, right? Walking with people. I think yeah. you can't be graceful unless you have people or some process to see yourself right. and who you really are. Yeah. You're around people. You irritate them. They give you yeah. grace. You go... I guess I get a lot of grace from all over the place. I should be graceful. <laughs> that's it, right? Okay, so that's, uh, here's another one. This is, you know, this is a, a one of those inspiring scriptures that are absolutely painful as well. 
because Jesus seems to point to, to abundant blessings as a as a absolute inseparable from being a child of God. And to me, that is scary because what if I don't get the abundant blessings or don't feel that I'm abundantly blessed? What does that say about me? And to me, that's the thing, right? So here's what it says. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, it says, Now to him who is able to immeasurably more than you ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's basically saying, give him glory because he's able to give you immeasurably more than you can even imagine. Right? Um, and that is an amazing scripture, an amazing promise, and a scary promise at the same time. Because what if? And to me, I can tell you right now, immeasurably more I've, I've, I've received. Immeasurably. Like, there's certain things that I go, I never could even imagine. I'm not creative enough to think of having a marriage like the marriage I have, or having sort of the, the family, because I, I come from like completely dysfunctional, generational dysfunctional families. So what I'm experiencing now for decades is for sure 100% more than I actually imagine, 100%, right? How did, have you experienced that in, in whatever ways, beyond what you ask or imagine? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> short answer, yes. Um, I think... The first thing I actually thought of was my mom because I feel I've been through a lot, but obviously then I look at her and I'm like, man, her life is 10 times harder than me between losing her husband, becoming a single mom. Um, she also grew up as a prisoner of war and came to America for college. Like she just had a yeah. crazy life, has lost two of her brothers, both her parents. So anyway, she's just gone through a lot, but she is like annoyingly the most positive person you'll ever meet. <laughs> And she is just so joyful and she looks at things through this lens of like, God has done so much in my life. She'll always be like, I feel like the luckiest person ever. And I'm like, are you serious? I feel like you're the yeah. most unlucky human ever. <laughs> um, but she can see so clearly, like God has done such amazing things through these tragedies. And even this is so minor, but I had this foot surgery and she was here for 10 days and I was just a mess. And I was like, I know this isn't this big of a deal, but I'm just anxious and all this stuff um in her mindset of like wow god brings so much growth through hard things and think about how much you're going to learn and grow and even if i'm talking about asking i have to ask people to literally do everything for me because i can't drive i can't get up and um god is teaching me a lot about being humble and slowing down um but i'm so grateful that like through really difficult things god gives me so much more than i could ever ever ask or imagine and um, even the second part I thought about was like my marriage of not, I heard so much about their marriage, but I never grew up seeing a marriage. Um, and my mom got remarried my senior year of high school and he's amazing. But by that point I was like pretty much going to college. So I grew up never really seeing a functional marriage. And then I shared this a few months ago. I think a lot of people know, I saw both my brothers go through a really nasty divorce. And so when I look at our marriage, like it makes me emotional of like, I'm so grateful that God has given me this. Um, and I think it's only through him, but through the community of people like who have taught us and who call us out. And um, yeah, I think God just like gives you so much more than you ever. I just never thought I would have a really functional marriage, which is weird. Um, so anyway, God does a lot. <laughs>
You know, coming from my perspective, I was a witness to some of this process. Yeah, some of, of our not functional. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, but I was a witness of of the wrestling, right? Of of you, you, you know, um, you and Tyler really trying to figure it out. And what I want to encourage you to encourage you with is this: it doesn't matter that you come from not knowing. It doesn't matter if you come from dysfunction like I did or not knowing like you did. What matters is that, are you going to listen? Are you going to accept the gifts? Like God can do more than you ask and imagine. Will you take it? It's just taking it. I mean, to me, that's, and what I admire about you is that you and Ty, that you took it. You accepted the gift. You listened. And you obeyed. God gave you more than you asked and imagine. You have to, like, get over the thought that you don't deserve it. Exactly. You don't. Accept but you it. said, you got to accept it. I'm like, I don't deserve a great marriage. And God's like, too bad. Like, here it is. Here it is, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. But, like, God's like, so I'm going to give it to you. And it's hard to accept sometimes when you just look at, like, all the ways you fall short. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm so proud of you guys. You're amazing. Any other thoughts about more than you asked or imagined? I was just going to say I appreciate what you just said, especially the, the ending part, because it is more. It's, I think this is true for every single one of us. Right. We we're here like we're here this Sunday morning. I don't know how we all got here, but just that we were able to get up out of bed and we were able to get here like this is a gift. But like accepting that and I think realizing that life in and of itself is more than we deserve. Like that's just that's that's hard because we become kind of start to expect some things and things become very commonplace. Um I just, a, a friend of ours shared this, and I was like, okay, if we're talking about this, I want to be able to share it. And it does tie in. But just this idea of when we talk about sonship and adoption, a lot of times the picture that comes to our mind is like being adopted as like a cute little baby, right? Yeah. Um, and, but when, when God adopts us, especially the majority of us, like we're coming from really messy, dysfunctional places. Like we're not that, that cute kid that was on my lap earlier, Addy. Um, that's not us when, when God is, is mm-hmm. adopting us, when we're choosing him. Like we're, we're messed up. We're dysfunctional. We're the ones that, that you would think no one wants. And yet that's who God adopts yeah. and chooses. That's us. And then he says, on top of that, I'm going to give you more than you deserve. Um, Man, it's hard to wrap your head around that, um, but it's it's just it's just the truth. Um, and I've seen that in in our marriage. Um, my parents have been divorced. It's the same thing. Everyone in my family has been divorced. Like, and my father's been divorced multiple times. Um, it's really hard to think about being able to have uh, a loving marriage. Um, but I wake up every day and I go, oh. She's still here. Like, this is an indescribable gift. Like, um, I, I don't deserve this, or, or I have my kids, or I just have life in my body, or we talk about health things, and, and many of you guys know I've had health challenges in the past couple of years, and you look and you go, I think on the front end of that, I go, I'm too young to have health challenges. I'm too young to be in a wheelchair, to be immobile. And then you go, there's people younger who have even more things. And then you just, you get to the space where you go, wow, I'm not too for anything. Like, there's nothing that I can't experience. It's just by the grace of God that I am who I am today. Yeah. And then I have as much blessings as I have today. So, that's my 
perspective. So true. Yeah. I was talking to uh, Brandon right here. He's a buddy of mine. I was doing an interview. I'm going to actually release it tomorrow, I think. But I was actually expressing to him, like midway through the interview, I was interviewing him. I was like, you know that you're the only reason that I can be in a certain professional sort of dimension working with startups is like never in my, never in my wildest dreams would I be experiencing and being in startups and, and, and I love this stuff, right? And the only reason I can do that is because of him in my life, right? Only reason. And I have several of you who I can point and say the only reason I can be friends and, and have dimensions and wisdom and, uh, and, and things that I've learned is because of you. It's so way beyond. Like if I just review, re rewind my life and I go, there's no way I could have imagined living in Austin, Texas, of all places on the planet, okay? <laughs> Leading a church, having an amazing group of profoundly deep and meaningful friendships that are transformative, like truly every, every week transformative. A marriage, the kids, a community, the good that we're doing in the world, never in my life. And I think, I really believe that this is meant for every single one of us. I mean, he wouldn't be saying that otherwise. Um, and it's just, I think what you said is really profound. Accepting it is part of the, <laughs> like, you, you have to activate it one way or another, right? By accepting it. And then seeing what God does. One quick thing that made me think, too, is when I think of, like, growing up, my mom was so intentional post-losing my dad of having really important father figures in my life. And there were, like, four or five guys we went to church with that would come over, even on Father's Day, if they had their own kids. And I think it made me think when you thought, like, Brandon, like, I think we, I now feel this role of, like, what people can I look for that maybe lost a mom or doesn't have a family situation that I can pull them into? Like now that I do have so much more than I ever thought, like I don't want to be like, okay, great. I got everything I need. Here's my bubble. Here's my family. I'm going to protect it at all costs and not let anyone in. Um, but I think part of the reason I've been able to have a healthy marriage and not have crazy daddy issues is because I had so many father figures who are like, I'm going to play this role in your life. Um, so I think, you know, that's church, that's community, having people like now us being able to look for other people and provide that for them. Yeah. By the way, this is actually a practice that Deb and I had. I'm going to put a plug in. We've done this thing after the day after Thanksgiving, our family has pie day. The reason we do pie day is because we've, because of what you said. It's because not everyone feels connected in community for whatever reason. It could be just, you know, I can't lie to my parents this, this year, or whatever. Uh, and so for decades, Deb and I had opened our house the day after Thanksgiving, all day from like whatever, I think it was like 10, 11 or something like that. All day, you can drop in with or without a pie and hang out with us and then leave whenever you want, come whenever you want, pie day, so you're all invited to pie day. But the reason we do that, it's because of this. It's because we want to be family. The people who may be in that moment of time perhaps are missing family. That makes sense? Um, okay, so one more. Uh, and, you know, what, what, I, what struck me as I was studying this out in Matthew 5, 16, uh, the child of God factor that Jesus sort of brings to our attention, to our lives, he, it seems that he's saying, now go shine this. Like, you can't just keep it. Right? And th this is what he says. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see 
your good deeds and glorify, not you, your Father in heaven. There's, a, there's an expectation that this is complete, cannot be, con- the child of God factor cannot be contained, it shines. So what I want to ask you is, in your experience, what are them, have you experienced that? Have you been a certain way, been around certain people, acted a certain way, and people look at you and go, this is, this is God. This is something beyond you. Um, I experienced that in my family. Um, so going back to my dad, uh, so he, he was hated by his family, uh, mostly because he adopted me and kind of going to that cultural context in Korea, adoption kind of being looked down upon. Um, they went as far as, you know, fighting me and my mom legally to get my grandfather's inheritance for my dad to, so that doesn't come to me. Um, wow. So, so, yeah, racism was in our That's family. That's messed up, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty messed up. Um, but cut to, you know, you know, hearing about my news of, you know, becoming a disciple and, and to provide more context, my family's not Christian. Um, my dad's side of the family's Buddhist, and my mom's kind of agnostic, but hopefully she'll come around. She's actually visiting this December, so it's gonna she's going to come to church, she agreed. Um, Love bomb. Yeah, so, um, but, uh, you know, my dad's side of the family heard about my, I, I never, till this day since my dad's passing, I haven't spoken with them directly. But they hear news about me through, you know, I guess Korean network. <laughs> uh, but according to my mom, one of my dad's uh, younger brothers, he recently came to her and go, hey, how'd you raise your son to be like this? Um, and he was pointing towards like a picture of, actually, I, I didn't even tell my wife this, but uh, she, I guess like a picture of us and our baby recently came uploaded on social media and they found it. I don't know how, um, but my mom was kind of, kind of, she didn't have an explanation either. You know, she was like, I, I, he's doing good. He's in, he's in the United States. He's got his family and stuff. Um, but they recognized it. Huh. And I got to hear that through my mom and I told her, you should come to church. Um, and this conversation I actually had about a couple weeks ago, so it was a very recent development, but yeah, so I, I was blessed beyond any means, you know, since almost eight years of, uh, eight years after, almost eight years after I got baptized, my life's just changed, mm-hmm. you know, I went from not knowing how to have good relationship with people and just kind of self-medicating myself through different means to having a family and knowing a group of people that I can rely on. And by the way, shout out to all the salespeople in our whoop, whoop. church. We're part of a water cooler group. So if you're a salesperson. Selling person, is not... serving. <laughs> exactly. Selling is serving. And uh, this past week, it was actually very a hard time for me at work. But I got to kind of lean on this group of men to kind of console me in the hard times as a salesperson, but uh, yeah, even even in my career, I'm noticing that my peers kind of look at me and go, hey, so I'd be stressed out if I were you, like, how are you, how are you, like, okay, like, you haven't closed anything, yeah. I was like, 
I'm good. Yeah. You know, I got people. Child of God, baby. Yeah, so. Son of a king. Son of a king. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing to be God's son. Um, to, yeah, I just feel loved at all times. Um, it's hard to follow that. Um, Jeez. I'll, I'll just share one or two quick stories. Um, one, uh, my wife and I got married when we were um, in college. Um, so I was 21, she was 22. Um, and we had a lot of friends in college who saw us date. We dated for two years. Uh, we had a great relationship, um, but we never kissed, um, which in college is really odd. And people are like, how are you guys? Like, how is this going to work? You never kiss. Like, what are you going to do when they say kiss the bride? Like, are you going to even know what to do? Um, like, I had all my friends ask me all kind of questions. Um, but we really enjoyed the way that we dated. And, um, and we really enjoyed our marriage and, and, and our wedding. Um, and then you fast forward um, about nine years into our marriage, 10 years. We were actually here in Austin. A friend of mine called me up and said, hey, um, I'm in Seattle but I'm actually flying down to Austin for a conference. And I really want to meet with you. I was like, okay, cool. Like, I haven't talked to you in a while, but it'll be good to see you. Um, what do you want to meet about? He was like, it's really important, but it's easier if I talk to you about it in person. So we met in person on 6th Street at a restaurant. It's not even there anymore. It's called Eureka. Um, and we sat, and he said, hey, man, how are you and your wife still married? I was like, uh... I don't know. I woke up this morning. She was still there. Um, but he, he said, no, like, I'm not joking. I'm serious. Like, all the people that I know that I was friends with in college that got married, none of them are still married. Like, how, how, what's different about you guys? Like, I know you guys, like, didn't kiss and all that stuff, but, like, for real, like, what, what's the, the secret sauce? Um, because he was wanting to get married, and he was very nervous about that prospect. And... I got to just share with him that it was God. Like, it was just our relationships and our community. Um, and the, the same people who took me to their house and gave me a suit were the same people who sat us down and taught me how to treat a woman and how to love her and how to be married. Um, and the funny thing is, my wife had a very, sim a very similar situation this year. Um, she ran into a friend from college at a trivia night just out in the community. Um, and the person was actually engaged and she said hey are you you still married to that guy from 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 college you didn't kiss like, yeah like yeah really like you guys still like each other like how does that work it's, it's just and so i think just that that's something where people just being able to see in the last quick story i'll share i was in a hospital six weeks and as I was laying there and not able to move, I would talk to a lot of brothers, a lot of you people. And one of the cool things was um, one day I was just looking at a couple of pictures and I had a picture on my phone of DeWitt, um, Isaac, and Devon. And the lady came up and she was like, are those your brothers? I was like, oh yeah, they're my, my church brothers. And she was like, wait, who are they? And like, why do you have like all these gifts and all these people talking to you, praying? Why, why did they send you that picture? And I said, oh, they're at my house. They're actually taking the doors off and putting new doors in so I can get my wheelchair in. And this lady like looked at me and she said, you don't understand how lucky you are. I was in a wing with a lot of people who are also injured and none of them had people coming to visit them. None of them had people that were at their house. And she said, your recovery is literally going to depend 
on the relationships that you have. Like the doctors can only do so much, but it's people who have a community to lean on that usually end up doing better. Wow. And isn't that the truth? I mean, yes, it is. So, yes, it is. My, my yeah. thoughts. Awesome. Well, let's wrap it up. I mean, I feel like I can talk for another half hour, but we have to wrap it up and get out of here. Um, can we ask, can you pray for us for communion? Mm-hmm.